This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome everyone to a special edition of Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com live as always from the two, three, seven roof studios. Hopefully you're having a great start to your Memorial Day weekend and we are here to kickstart things live as always. The Arco Equipment Hotline, it is open, ladies and gentlemen, as always, 337-706-0111. That's how you can get in touch with us on the Arco Equipment Hotline. And trust me, I don't mind having that thing open for a good chunk of the show. But trust me, I have guests coming up at 10, 15, and 10, 30. I'll give you the full rundown in just a little bit. Because trust me, we got some really cool stuff coming up on today's program because we've got a lot of bases to cover quite literally. Obviously, we got LSU baseball going on, Astros baseball, a lot of news and notes concerning that, and a whole lot more. You know what? I'm not going to waste any more time because we like to do something every single Saturday morning to kind of let you know about what's going on this weekend. Because obviously, there's a lot of things that are, and I everybody has an idea of what's going on. But guess what? We don't quite know what's going on and what to look forward to as this weekend really starts jumping off the page, especially during the dog days of summer. So here's an idea of what's on tap. It's a big weekend for a lot of reasons, especially because it's Memorial Day weekend, ladies and gentlemen. But looking at the world of sports in particular, the biggest thing going on in a local from a local perspective is the SEC tournament. And my goodness, it's been a fun one for LSU getting a measure of revenge last night against the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And if that doesn't secure a regional host spot, this committee is taking crazy pills and they need to be checked into the concussion protocol is my goodness, this team deserves a shot at this. And a few weeks ago, I doubted this because I felt like the team had lost their smile. They lost that edge that a lot of these national championship caliber teams at LSU have had. A guy that has that energy, has that fire to get this team amped up no matter what kind of odds they're up against. And then you see them Wednesday night and Thursday morning. They did not give up. That was a big reason why this game wound up going into 17 innings and into the wee hours of Thursday morning, 3 a.m. I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of that, but it's the fact that I noticed something. The old LSU is back. The LSU team that I saw many, many moons ago kind of say, hey, we're going to wind up doing things our way, and now we're seeing it happen. The offense we saw last night, that's the kind of offense we need to see more frequently. They were in fuego last night. Just phenomenal all the way around. Getting some revenge against Mississippi State. And, you know, I talked about it a few weeks ago as well when it comes to LSU and how I doubted them and they lost their smile, lost that edge. 
I think they found those marbles like Pedro Serrano did in Major League Two when he hit that big home run. And they're firmly in control of their own destiny. They found the marbles and they're ready to go. Some might say they now have the eye of the tiger, and I'm sure I'm getting a lot of groans from people listening on on the radio, online, the free mobile app powered by Visit Avery Island. I know you, that might have gotten a lot of groans because it was just such a cheesy line. It is what it is. But, you know, they have a big opponent tonight up against the national seat in Vanderbilt. First pitch, 3 o'clock, as you heard in the two-minute drill. An upset this afternoon would absolutely be huge for their chances of moving up as a regional host instead of being relegated to being a 16 seed, which I feel like that's where they're going to wind up being if they're a regional host at all. That's at least my perspective. I'll go into a deeper dive with it. I want to talk to our good brother Wilson Alexander at 10.30 a.m. with The Advocate. We're going to talk to him about that and a whole lot more. And then in the hour one, I'll give you some overall thoughts about what's going on with the NCAA tournament, some thoughts about how some of the teams have done over the course of the tournament, and a whole lot more. Because trust me, we got a lot of things to talk about, and I am just all the way looking forward to Another thing I'm looking forward to this weekend it has to be, without a doubt, something going on on a national perspective. Moving from the baseball diamond to the racetrack. That's right. What's going on tomorrow? It's a huge Sunday for race fans all over the country with the Indianapolis 500 going on tomorrow, 11 a.m. for the first time ever on NBC. is taking center stage on a Sunday. I think it's no better time than to drop this one. And, you know, I'll say this. I'm not, I haven't been as big of a fan of the F Formula One racing because it's just, it's not my style. I, I enjoy seeing that from time to time, but it's not a consistently must watch like tradition like it is for some people. And it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the way that whole thing is done. I love the way Formula One racing is a little bit more than NASCAR now because NASCAR has made it way too confusing for the average viewer. And I can remember watching Danica Patrick's first Indy 500 back in high school, and that was kind of my introduction to the world of Formula One. And outside of that, I'm not really paying attention to it. But I feel like the world of F1 racing is starting to have a little bit of a resurgence. And a big reason why I'm thinking that, because the attendances actually looked really good over the last few days during practices. And Indy want to be in a big place for some really fun stuff. And a big reason for that has to be kind of how hotly contested it was in qualifying when you look at kind of how the stats turned out. For frame of reference, you have the guy who won the pole position, Simon Pag- Paganode, um, hopefully I'm pronouncing it right, and the slowest qualifier, Pippa Man, were separated by 1.8 miles per hour. So basically you have like hundreds of a mile separating a lot of these racers in terms of the qualifying rounds and that really makes it interesting as a casual auto racing fan has me intrigued to see who's going to come out on top again that's tomorrow 11 a.m on nbc that's gonna be a really cool event with the indianapolis 500 a little bit of a different feel to it mike tarico probably didn't want to be a part of it i can't wait to hear him do the call for formula one racing because he's definitely gotten really really good at calling the Kentucky, being part of the Kentucky Derby coverage, being part of the Olympics coverage when he debuted with NBC. It's, it's amazing to see the flexibility that Mike Tirico has since he left the Four Letter Network. It's great to see what, he, what, he's, what he's been doing as of late. And then the final thing that I'm looking forward to this weekend, you expect me to talk about a lot of things involving the world of sports, but we're going to switch it over to the world of sports entertainment. 
Entertainment. Yes, you heard me right. Sports Entertainment is taking a little bit of center stage here on today's program, especially the first like half hour or so, because of the fact that this is a big weekend for pro wrestling. It is All Elite Wrestling's debut event, Double or Nothing, and it, if you wound up watching the uh, the Bucks Raptors game five last night or a couple days ago, you would have heard game four, excuse me, game four when they tied it two two. You would have heard Marv Albert do a live read for this, and I was amazed at the fact that it actually happened in 2019, and it is amazing to see what we're talking about with the new era of pro wrestling that. Only Wrestling is one to bring with their pay-per-view going on tonight. Double or nothing. They'll be on BR Live. Something you need to keep an eye on if you're a big fan of professional wrestling. Of course, if you're not, I'm not going to tell you you need to just watch nonstop over the next like couple of weeks to see what's going to happen. But you have to realize, this is something that we've been talking about dating back to October, especially on the 20 by 20 Progress podcast, is it feels like we've got a chance of having a true competitor when you look at things in the world of pro wrestling now, Tony Khan, who also owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I believe a football team out in London, I believe a Premier League team. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who that is. But that's huge to have a billionaire who's interested in the sport of pro wrestling, and you have him be a financial backer for this league that's being founded by Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, and a lot of the members of the elite. And for the first time in almost 20 years, it feels like there's a chance for a wrestling company to put the fire underneath the wrestling monolith that is the WWE and finally kind of have some true competition for the first time in a hot minute. That's something I feel like has been missing for pro wrestling over the last several years is to have somebody compete directly. Sure, we saw it back in the day with WCW and ECW, but it's been almost 20 years. You can, you can make your debate about Ring of Honor and Impact Wrestling all you want. I'm sorry, I feel like all lead wrestling, the way they've got everything set up right here, right now, they've got a better shot of setting themselves up for a lot of success going forward. Largely because of the fact that they aren't going to wind up being on like stations that you have to literally search for to find, like when we see Ring of Honor and Impact Wrestling. They're going to be on TNT, and Warner Media is a big reason why. I feel like this thing could wind up being interesting because they're going to wind up trying to be a true alternative to the product, and they are all over this because they want to see... It succeed. They want to see competition because they haven't had competition in pro wrestling in over 20 years. In almost 20 years. And it's impressive to see what's been going on. My question to you is this. And this is a big poll question up on Twitter at 1037 The Game. And it is definitely getting a lot of love. At 75% yes, 25% what's AEW? I guess those people might be a little sarcastic. But All Elite Wrestling going on, debuting tonight. And it got me thinking, we've talked about it before on this show, and considering how much we know now about All Elite Wrestling with the TV deal, the streaming deal with Bleacher Report and BR Live, and, and everything involving Warner Media, my question is, can All Elite Wrestling, AEW, be a true competitor to the WWE? My answer is no, and I'll explain why in a, in a second. Because it'll be a success but on a much smaller scale than some might think. It's not going to be WCW where they want to whip in the other companies behind for 83 straight weeks like they did back in the 90s. It's just not the same kind of format. 
as it was. You know, you because you got to think about it. You had North versus South, if you will, in this sense. Because the South was such a big area for pro wrestling in the 80s and 90s. You saw a lot of that carry over to WCW, especially once you kind of got things started with the NWO and whatnot. I feel like you've got to have you have an uphill climb nowadays. And also, I'd like to think that, you know, the TNT deal is huge. But how many like casual fans, hashtag lapsed fans, are going to wind up watching with consistency every Tuesday, Wednesday night, whenever it is, for the two hours a week, along with all the other stuff that's going on in their lives, and watch a, another pro wrestling program rather than, oh, hey, you know, we're going to watch what we've been watching forever. Because, I, again, I'm just a person who's a creature of habit and have watched WB forever. I would love to see a true competition between WWE and all elite wrestling, but I just can't see it being on the scale. Everybody's making it out to be where they'll be a competitor, put the pressure on them, and then eventually they'll overtake WWE and WWE will 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 be no more. I'm sorry, that'll ne- it'll never go away. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. The fact they just got to deal with Fox, a billion dollar deal. There's no way it's going anywhere anytime soon. But I think it's going to be fun to see what happens. And if I'm wrong, I'll congratulate each and every one of them for doing it because I think I'm just not necessarily all in on this situation. Pun definitely intended there. And of course, that brings me to my next guest at 10:15 in just a minute or so. When we take a commercial break, we'll have Chris Van Vliet. He's definitely interviewed a lot of great pro wrestlers, namely Cody Rhodes, most recently, talking about all elite wrestling. So we'll give we'll get his thoughts on double or nothing. A quick preview. Of what's going on there. And then, of course, Wilson Alexander, LSU talk with him at 1030. Can they host a regional? We'll talk to him about that. And then also at 1130, Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked On Saints podcast. OTAs, first week in the books. What does he think about Jared Cook, Latavius Murray? How do they fit into the system? Should they get Gerald McCoy? Should they try and throw all the ducats at him? We'll talk to him about that and a whole lot more. Under the Dome, it's going to be a fun one, so keep it locked right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Let's waste no more time and get over to the Art Co. Equipment Hotline to talk to our next guest by day. He is an Emmy-winning entertainment reporter for WSVN out in Miami, Florida. And his side hustle, the man is a big-time YouTuber in terms of Pro wrestling. The man has interviewed all kinds of great people, including Cody Rhodes, one of the big parts of all elite wrestling. And we're going to talk to him right now. He's on the Arco Equipment Hotline. What's going on, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Clint. I appreciate you coming on, my man, because trust me, it's a big day for many people in pro wrestling. And first things first, 
What got you into the kind of this game of being a YouTuber and interviewing a lot of these pro wrestlers? And how were you able to get a lot of these guys, especially Cody Rhodes, so close to double or nothing? Look, I've been a lifelong wrestling fan, and like you mentioned, my, my day job is I'm an entertainment host. Uh, I'm on TV in Miami, but I was always interviewing wrestlers as they'd come to town to promote Raw or SmackDown or Impact or whatever it happened to be. And as I would do these interviews, you know how it is. You only air a little bit of it on, on the air. And then I had you know, a 10, 15, 20-minute interview where we would talk about stuff that, as a fan, I really cared about. And I'm like, well, somebody else is going to appreciate this. So I started putting that stuff on YouTube. And, uh, you know, kind of from there, it just kind of started growing. And I realized there's a, there's a lot more of us crazy wrestling fans out there than, uh, than you could ever possibly think. And I have to agree with you, Chris. And my goodness, it's definitely going to be a big weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada, with All Elite Wrestling and their big show, Double or Nothing. And what's the match you're most looking forward to tonight? Oh, that Bucks match. Uh, I think it's just going to be absolutely incredible. And I, I'm in Vegas right now. Nice. Uh, you mentioned I talked to Cody Rhodes on Wednesday. He happened to be in Miami with Tony Khan up at the NFL owners meeting. And I figured, well, you're in Miami. I'm in Miami. And we somehow w- were able to make that interview work. So I'm here now. Uh, I did some interviews yesterday with uh, MJF, Joey Janela. Uh, I'm going to head out to uh, StarCast in a few minutes here and try to do some more. There is a, certainly a buzz here, uh, and I've been saying this for a while, and I think it's true that today is like a line in the sand. I, I think that we're going to look at May 25th, uh, many years from now, and go, that was the day where the pro wrestling industry changed, for better or for worse. So things are really going to change today, and we're going to remember a time when AEW didn't exist, and certainly the world after today when AEW does exist. And we're talking about AEW and its future. You know, we got obviously the big deal with TNT, Warner Media, BR Live is going to be streaming the event tonight. And my question to you is this, and this is something I, we have a big poll question up right now. Can All Elite Wrestling be a true competitor to WWE? What's your thoughts on that? Can they be that company to finally be a lot like what we saw with WCW back in the 90s and truly put the boots to WWE and try and make the entire wrestling community a lot better what i think is really interesting is AEW hasn't had one second of one match yet and they're already the number two company which is mind-blowing that they've already surpassed new japan ring of honor and impact wrestling without ever having a match so i think that uh, AEW's been saying all along that they want to be an alternative and i think that if they can start out as an alternative not trying to be direct competition with wwe but if they can provide an alternative it's more entertaining that provides something different than what WWE has been providing for almost 20 years with zero competition. I think that people will just have to uh, go to that. I think there's two ways to build the tallest building. You can either build the tallest building or you can tear down all the other buildings around you and just be the tallest building. I think that if AEW just continues to build all the time, uh, people will have to notice what they're doing. Talk right now with Chris Van Vliet, a pro wrestling YouTuber, I guess is what you would call it. The man interviews tons of great pro wrestlers. And, you know, on that same on that topic, you know, we talked about the fact you interviewed Cody Rhodes the other day. And that was a really good interview. My question to you is this. Who's your favorite, like, pro wrestler that you've interviewed over the years? It's got to be The Rock. I, I mean, I'm a lifelong fan. Yep. I remember being in high school and raising the people's eyebrow and yelling, it doesn't matter, at everyone in the hallways. Uh, so The Rock was always at the top of my list, the people that I wanted to interview. And 
you know, with my job, I get to interview a lot of celebrities, and I figured that The Rock would have to be someone that I would interview eventually as he's promoting movies. And, it, you know, years kept going on, and I wasn't getting these interviews with The Rock, and that was someone that I wanted so badly. And then I actually got my first interview with The Rock backstage at Raw uh, when he was promoting uh, his match with John Cena for WrestleMania 28. And I'm like... Not only am I getting an interview with The Rock, but I'm getting The Rock in a wrestling setting. And he's everything uh, you'd want him to be. He's funny, and he's charismatic, and he goes out of his way to make you feel like you're something special. And I think that's a real star quality that we don't see a lot of anymore. I think that's probably the coolest thing I've heard today about The Rock. is He just feels like The Rock is a lot like when you kind of keep an eye on some of these celebrities. He feels like he's untouchable. But the way you're telling me is he's definitely a very approachable guy. The Rock is definitely very aware of how big of a celebrity he is. And he knows that if you have a four-second interaction with him, you know, you're going to take that with him or with you for the rest of your life. So I just appreciate how much he does for his fans. And he realizes that, you know, he's a powerful man. And, and you know, a couple words that he shares with you is going to go a long way. I mean, I've now interviewed The Rock nine times. Not like I'm counting or anything, um, but I've interviewed The Rock nine times, and uh, every single time, it's really, really special. That's awesome, man. And, you know, obviously, Double or Nothing tonight. Talk right now with Chris Van Vliet. we got All Elite Wrestling, Double or Nothing tonight. What big surprises are you predicting here tonight? Hey, Chris, you there? Hey, Chris, you there, man? Here. Hey, we lost you there, Chris. You, you, you there? Okay, I guess some, uh, we. I guess the biggest surprise is we don't know what it's going to be. A little technical difficulties. Vegas is definitely packed right now, so I can understand why he wasn't able to quite get on the air with us, hop on with us. But hey, guess what? Bright side, we got a lot more stuff to talk about today. Obviously, we'll talk with Wilson Alexander just a little bit. We'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be back with more. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD. That's me right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Radio update starts now. Bucks on the brink. I Jeff Ames with the famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. Fuel Manchester United supporters. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 the game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. We'll keep the soccer talk far away 
from this show, at least for the time being. Maybe maybe someday we'll actually talk soccer. But, you know, we had some time to talk some baseball. Always time to talk some baseball here on Acadiana Sports Station 103.7 The Game. And when it comes to LSU baseball, they definitely have caused a lot of intrigue. And we're going to go over to the Artco Equipment Hotline right now to talk with our guy Wilson Alexander of the of the Advocate. Let's talk a little LSU baseball. What's going on, man? Hey, how you doing today? I am doing fantastic. I know you're out on the golf course, and that's definitely been the big thing over the course of this week. We're going to have some fun here to start things off. Who's been the best golfer amongst all the media guys? Oh, mm, good question. Um, it's not me. I can tell you that. It might be our columnist, Scott Rabelais. He might be the best golfer in the LSU media. Um, he says, I'm afraid that's true. I can, hit, I can hit a drive pretty far, but my short game needs some help. I love it. I love it. You know, I, mean, about to say, I can about imagine Rabelais is probably the best one out of all the media, largely because of the fact he's always at the Masters. It feels like he just he, he learns it by proxy. He understands golf, and he's got a beautiful swing. Yeah, I can about imagine Talking right now with Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. And, you know, we look at the SEC tournament. The LSU Tigers have just been on another level. Has this LSU team found their spark again based on what you've seen over the last couple days? For sure. Yeah, I mean, they're playing at a really high level right now. Um, And especially when you consider the fact that two, I guess, three days ago now, they played a 17-inning game, and they came back and they've won two. Yesterday they just absolutely annihilated Mississippi State, and it was – incredible really considering everything they've been through and the fact that Mississippi State's going to be a national seed um but LSU's kind of had Mississippi State's number this year they're really having fun they're enjoying it they they always play so well in Hoover but um they seem to have really found whatever it is that they need to you know kind of be get hot going into the NCAA tournament and you know Wilson we're talking about this the way they played last night especially the 12 to 2 win over the Bulldogs it it really was looking like they were just out for revenge last night against the team they wound up losing against in 17 innings and playing until 3 a.m. looked like that team was just was was angry. I don't know if they were necessarily angry, but they definitely wanted to prove something. And I think they understood that if they won that game, they were probably going to host a regional, and that's what it looks like now. And I, I mean, they were they admitted it after the game they really want to host. They like playing in Alex Box, of course. Uh, they understand that they have an advantage when they get in front of LSU's fans because they're so loud and they show up, and that's you know that's a huge thing for them. And they wanted to get back there, and so they understood I think the stakes of the game and, and they stepped up when they needed to. And they definitely showed up. Talking right now with Wilson Alexander of the Advocate, you saw him just in the third inning, kind of coming alive with that big five-run inning, and it definitely looked like a lot of life was taken out of him. Especially you look at Wednesday. We talk about that 17 inning a lot. 17-inning ball game that went into 3 a.m. A lot of people were watching it on TV. I, I then want to get the perspective of somebody who was inside the press box last on that on that Wednesday night going into the Thursday morning. What was it like watching that game and just how frustrating was it the game just seemingly never wanted to end? I don't know. It wasn't frustrating, I don't think. I, I mean, it was just incredible, really, I thought. I mean, and I understood that. You know, as this game kept going on, kept going on, kept getting longer, I was witnessing something pretty incredible and um, that had never been done before. And so I just tried to appreciate it from that perspective and tried to enjoy it as much as I could. I mean, you kind of, I mean, even up through about the 14th, 15th inning, the fans and the players were were going, you know, kind of crazy. I mean, the LSU's players were wrapping uh, towels around their head, foreheads and and right, waving their arms in the air and dancing and stuff at two in the morning. And Mississippi State put a boot with a hat on top of its dugout. Um, 
And then that kind of petered off as he got into the 16th and the 17th. And I think everybody got really tired. So Garza had like cups on his face and he joked later that it were to keep his eyes open. Um, it, it got pretty exhausting toward the end, but it was definitely something I don't think anybody who was there will ever forget. And now we're going to kind of look ahead. Obviously, you got the big game against Vanderbilt, 3 o'clock in the semifinal to try and punch a ticket to the finals. And I think that could wind up helping them out a lot in terms of hosting a regional. We'll save that talk in for just a moment. But looking at the game today, does Palmer have any idea who's going to send out on the bump today? Or is this going to be another situation where Paul's definitely thinking like he's going to pick names out of a hat? I think by now he probably knows who he uh, wants to start. Now, I don't know who that is. My best guess would be Devin Fontenot um, because he last pitched on Tuesday against South Carolina. He can give you some innings. Um, he's got good stuff when he when he's pitching well. Um, that would be my guess, especially with Todd Peterson, not, who's not going to pitch for the rest of the weekend. Paul Maneri's not even going to let him touch a ball because um, he's been throwing so much. Zach Hess might get in there a little bit. I mean, sure, LSU's going to go and try and win this thing, but that's going to be really difficult against Vanderbilt. It's going to still be kind of a Johnny Holstaff kind of game, which is what you get here usually uh, at the NDFC tournament, especially when you've been playing since Tuesday. All right, you talked about Todd Peterson not touching a ball. Now, will he touch a bat? <laughs> no, no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I guess you, you got to ask the question, will he touch a bat in this tournament or even yeah. on the road to Omaha, which is kind of the next thing I want to get to. You know, we the biggest talking points this week have been, can LSU host a regional if they win a couple games in Hoover, Alabama? That seems like almost every year they win at least two games in Omaha. What's the percent chance in your mind that LSU hosts the regional come Monday? 100%. 100% after winning that? Yeah, I think so. D1 baseball, or going into yesterday, their RPI was um, – you know, getting pretty high, and then now I think it's at about 14 or so, and that puts them in a safe spot. They've got a lot of wins against top 50 teams. They've got now, I guess, 18 or excuse me, 19 SEC victories, and I mean the SEC is the toughest conference in America, and they have played some of the top teams pretty solid on the road. I mean, um, they haven't been good on the road this year, but when they've had to go, they've had to go play Arkansas, play Georgia, play Mississippi State, all on the road, and now they're about to play Vanderbilt and they're going to have a, a decent record against those guys. I think that there's uh, they're definitely going to be playing a regional at home next weekend. Talk right now with Wilson Alexander of the Advocate. He's out on the golf course. So I'm going to have a couple more questions left for him. You know, we talk about the, we talk about this regional. Who's going to have to step up as the leader if they want to make a magical run to Omaha? Because it feels like this team hasn't necessarily had that 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 leader with that energy and that fire to really light it up. Who's going to have to step up? Yeah, I'm not so. I'm not sure if this is really from a leadership perspective. But I think the person who needs to step up is either Landon Marceau or Cole Henry, one of those two freshman pitchers, to give them just an. I mean, Landon's been really good uh, over the last uh, month or so. Ever since he's really gotten healthy, um, we've really seen that against Auburn. He's had two great starts, even though Auburn's not, you know, an excellent hitting team. Um, Landon's got good stuff, and he's been shutting people down. And then Cole's can, getting back from you know his injury, and if he can give them a good start. Uh, that would be huge because they need good starting pitching to in, in, you know to be able to save the bullpen, um, Eric. And so I think it's going to got to come from one of those two freshmen. Last one here for you. More impressive what we saw like this week in the SEC tournament was it the walk off wild pitch error situation on Thursday, or was it the seven run fourth inning last night? Um, hmm, more impressive, you, you say? Yeah. 
think more impressive is the seven-run inning, considering that you're facing Mississippi State. Um, and, I mean, then you, you the fact they run-ruled them by the seventh inning. That's absurd. But the the wild pitch was more just bonkers crazy. I think the seven-run, you know, blowing out Mississippi State was probably more impressive. Wilson, thanks so much for coming on, my man. Enjoy the rest of your day on the golf course and then head up to the press box to watch LSU baseball at three. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on. Have a great day. Uh, you too, Wilson. You can follow Wilson on Twitter at WH Alexander. The man definitely covers LSU baseball quite well for the advocate. His golf game needs some work, but hey, you know, we can live with that. We don't have him on to talk golf. That's Scott Rabelais' job. I guarantee you that. Anyways, Scott Rabelais is a great guy in general. Almost felt like having him on, but I felt like it was just going to be better to have on a guy like Wilson Alexander. Hadn't had him on in a few weeks. I want to try and keep him being a consistent part of this show because Wilson's just such a he's such a great beat writer and knows what he's talking about. It has a lot of authority to it. I absolutely love it when I have him on. I think it's one of the reasons why I consistently have him on in like a ten thirty slot as opposed to a ten fifteen. Again, it's just the way I look at it. But of course. You know, we had a lot more stuff going on than just LSU. The Raging Cajuns, their season came to an end. The Astros, they're looking good. They've been looking good. It's just they've been red hot. A couple losses against the Chicago White Sox is what it is. You can you, you can't t- take like as much stock in it as you would like. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate on what happened with them last night. And there's a lot of other great things going on in the world of sports, especially when you look at baseball. Big call up yesterday. We're gonna talk about that and a whole lot more. I'm gonna keep that in the next segment. Because we're gonna be round the bases, baby. Not necessarily flipping the bat because I don't think there's gonna be anything really worth flipping the bat over. But there's still some stuff to talk about heading into the next couple days. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 the game at 1037thegame.com, where we love to talk baseball, wrestling, and whatever else is on tap. And hey, soccer, we will get to it one day, I guarantee you. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. Fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with a CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And my goodness, it's a fun one. Arco Equipment Highlight open till 1130 from this point on. Is we got Ross Jackson coming aboard at 1130-ish. Of course, 337-706-0111 is the place you want to be. If you want to talk to us about anything that we've talked about or anything that you want to talk about, because guess what? We are flexible like that. If you want to talk golf, soccer, Indy 500, I think I can wind up being well-versed enough in the diversity of the world of sports to talk about whatever you want to wind up talking about. But, of course, right now I want to talk about some baseball and what's been going on over the last 24 hours or so. 
In terms of baseball, and we're going to round the bases, certain things off. LSU, their offensive firepower was on display last night, likely securing a regional host seat in the process, like our guy Wilson Alexander said. I'm definitely in agreement with that statement because I feel like what we saw against LSU, regardless of what happens to Vandy, what happens against Vandy later on today, I think they definitely secured that spot. Looking forward to seeing what they wind up doing this weekend against Vandy and maybe in the SEC title game. We shall see on that because, honestly, again, Vandy doesn't need much to really secure a super regional spot now. I feel like they've got a really good chance of pulling that off. And, of course, just looking forward to that in terms of the world of major of college baseball. We'll get to the Raging Cajuns in just a minute. But now we're going to go over to the R Co-Equipment Hotline. Looks like we got somebody on the line. Who's up? Hey, what's up, CD? You been all right, buddy? T, what is up, my good brother? Haven't heard from you in a hot minute. What's up, brother? Oh, not a whole lot. Just been real busy, man. Well, I can about imagine, busy. man. Hey, listen, um, LSU baseball, man, look, throughout the whole season, our, our defense has been shaky, our offense has been shaky, our pitching bad, our coaching yep. bad. But there's one thing about this team that we, we can say. They don't give up. <clears throat> And you know, sometimes yeah. those, those things, you know, those things take you a long way. It really does, especially when you look at what LSU's been able to do over the last like seventy-two hours. You play a game until three a.m., and then you're back on the field at like what? What was it? One, two o'clock in the afternoon, and you're going at it again, and you almost lose to Auburn, get bounced out after getting into the tournament and having to play your way into. The big rounds. It was. It's just nothing short of impressive what we've seen from LSU and the and the gumption they have. I got. Hey, did your last guest say that uh, the Bat Boy was going to pitch? No, he did. He <laughs> he did not say that. He did, he never <laughs> said that. Devin but Fontenot. <laughs> I, I'm, I, yeah, because uh, we're, we're getting out. We're running out of pitchers. So I just thought maybe the Bat Boy had a glove. He could help or something. Hypothetically, Kate Beloso could wind up even pitching. Maybe I think that would that would be interesting to see that have. Have position players get the start. I'd be, I, I'm all for that. As a person who loves to see crazy things happen on the field, give me, give me Cade below. Give me Antoine Duplantis pitching. I think you'll see uh, Drew Bianco before that. Uh, <laughs> I heard he was a pretty yeah. good pitcher. Well, I heard he was a pretty good pitcher in high school. Yeah, I can about imagine he's definitely a well versed guy. I would love to see it. And again, we just don't know exactly like who they're going to want to pitching. Hopefully we find out before long. I mean, I would be surprised if uh, you see maybe Zach has be an opener in this sense. This is something I, me and Blaine talked about many weeks ago about the fact that I feel like LSU could want to be using him as an opener instead of having him be a guy who gets a start for four or five innings, have him work a role like we see with Tempe Rays and what they've been able to do with a lot of success in the league. Hey, I got you. Hey, CD, love your show, man. Uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day, buddy. Oh, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and Memorial Day weekend, T. Always love teeing it up with T. I expected him to call in during the second hour, but, you know, it is what it is. Wish he had called in, but, yeah, some fantastic stuff. And he's right. This team never gives up. You never give up. It's amazing to see what they've been able to do throughout the season whenever you look at LSU baseball, and they're bouncing back. They've really got a good shot at getting it done. And, you know, we talk about it. It's like I think we get Drew Biego have a shot at starting, honestly. I think Chris Reed definitely won't be getting the start as a pitcher just because he is LSU's professional hitter, and here's why. Self from the stretch comes to the plate. 
Chopper over the top of the pitcher, charging in. Foscu playing deep. He bobbled the ball. Safe at first is Reed. Sliding in safely at home is going to be Watson. Cabrera came in to score on contact. Watson, after the throw, went to first. Nolan Kane sends him in, and Watson slides under the tag. It's 10-2 LSU. And just absolutely love it. And, of course, we got to look at Cajuns baseball. On the other hand, their season ended on Thursday night. Thursday morning, I should say. Thursday morning, 10-7 to loss to the Troy Trojans. And definitely disappointing into the season. After some incredible highs, we knew the Cantrell's hitting streak, him hitting for the cycle, Orrin Vaillant going, going postal on, on some baseballs. Handsome Monica's career. Wrapping up, and he wanted looking really good in his senior season, coming back from the injury. Speaking of injuries, that was definitely the really deep valleys. Injuries abound with that program. I think that was a big reason why they wanted dropping the amount of games that they did throughout the season. You know, I, I'm just not a fan of everybody kind of piling on the fact that Tony Robichaux like has losses. I mean, they missed out on the postseason for the third straight year, and everybody and their mama is talking about. Like getting rid of Tony Robichaux. I am a staunch Tony Robichaux supporter. I'm just that guy. I have always enjoyed talking with talking with head coach Tony Robichaux for the longest time. I've been watching that program for a long time. I'm going to support him till the wheels fall off. I'm sorry. Like unless they go Owen forever, I'm not saying that Tony Robichaux should be fired or anything. He, there is no such thing as a hot seat for a guy like that. He's definitely done a lot for the community. He's such a fixture with not only Cage's baseball program, but but UL in general. Like You think of UL, you think of Tony Robichaux, you think of Cajuns baseball, the way they want to be able to perform over the last several years. Is it is it nearing the time for him to hang it up? I'm not one to say that. That's up to him. That is up to him, but I'm sure that's something he's definitely thought about over the last several years. I'm just not going to – I'm not going to – Put right as tombstone at this time, but of course, other things going on around the world of sports has to be without a doubt. Astros got the win over Boston, but at what cost? George Springer, undoubtedly the MVP of this team in 2019, he's headed to the IL with a hamstring injury. Probably coming up in the next hour, I'll let you hear from the man himself about that injury. They won four. Astros won four three last night over the Red Sox. Game two. Going to be over on the Rewind, 97.7 FM, 1330 AM, and 104.1 FM out in Lake Charles. And in other Astros-adjacent news, I think the coolest thing that happened this weekend is happening this weekend is Craig Biggio's son made his debut in the show with the Toronto Blue Jays. And it's really cool because not only do we have Biggio's son, you've also got Vlad Guerrero's son, Vlad Guerrero Jr., and... Vlad Guerrero Jr. is really, really good. It's amazing to see what he's been able to do and make an immediate impact in the show. Hopefully we see the same from Biggio's kid. Sadly, I think they took the L last night. They took the L train on Friday night. Hopefully they can bounce back. And he It's, it's just really cool to have two second-generation Hall of Famers, two second-generation players, and sons of Hall of Famers on the same team. First time in MLB history that's happened. I mean, imagine, imagine like, let's say, Hypothetically, you got Tom, one of Tom Brady's kids, and Drew Brees' kid, and they're all on the same like NFL team, playing different positions. Imagine how cool that would be. Hypothetically, of course, because I feel like both of, both of their kids are going to wind up probably being quarterbacks. But again, you know, we shall see on that. Speaking of Drew Brees, really cool to meet him earlier this week. Just got to say that one more time before 
I wrap up hour number one. It's in the books. Hour number two coming up next. 337-706-0111 is how you get into the Arco Equipment Hotline. Chat me up about anything you want in just a little bit. We're back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome everyone. Our number two of two is now underway on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. From the roof to the roots of Acadiana, Lafayette Roofing has got you covered. That's who's presenting us live from the 237 Roof Studios. Presented by Lafayette Roofing. Call them up, 237-ROOF, 237-7663. And, hey, if you want to call us up, that number, it's 337 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111. Kind of free of guests up until 11.30. Yes, indeed, 11.30. We're free of guests until that point. Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and the Locked on Saints podcast. We'll talk to him about OTAs, everything going on with Saints, free agency, should they get Gerald McCoy, and a whole lot more. And, of course, the big poll question going on right now is about All Elite Wrestling, double or nothing, going on tonight. Can All Elite Wrestling be a true competitor to the WWE? 67% are saying yes, 11% no, and 22% are saying, what is AEW? I wonder if those are troll accounts saying what's AEW. But hey, guess what? We'll, 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 we'll shelve that talk for the time being and go to the Arco Equipment Hotline to find out who our next caller is and also find out what they want to talk about, what's going on. Hey, what's going on, Clint? Hey, what's up? Who's this? This is Cody. Hey, Cody, what's up, man? What's up, man? I didn't catch the LSU game last night. I don't know what pitchers um, they threw. So I'm just curious if you could give me uh, a heads up into the, today's game, who's available and who you think should be starting, things like that. Oh, well, last, I mean, like our guy, I'm, uh, Wilson Alexander, said in hour number one, and you can check out that interview probably later on today, on demand at 1037thegame.com, you only had Aaron Moffitt, Aaron George, and Costello get the start, get a pitch last night. It was only a seven-inning game, so we were able to save a lot of the arms. And honestly, we have no idea what's going to wind up happening in this one. You'd want to probably starting hypothetical. You'd want to maybe even seeing me and T kind of chopped it up earlier as well. Possibly you wind up seeing maybe even a Drew Biengo who has had experience in pitching. There's a lot of different directions you can go with it. 
I just don't. I don't think even Pulmonary really knows, like right here, right now at eleven o five a.m., who's he going to be starting in about four hours' time. So it's up in the air, huh? As always with this team. Well, especially considering the fact that you only have like a certain number of arms, you don't have like a consistent like depth of a pitching staff in terms of starters. That's been a big like complaint of mine. I think a lot of other people, because you look at, I'm going to bring up the Cajuns as an example from last year, where they had at least four guys that could wind up probably being a reliable hand in this kind of situation. If you are going to be going long into a tournament like we're seeing LSU do in this one. Honestly, Vandy's going to be one hell of an opponent against LSU's arms tonight. So I'm, gonna, I'm, winding, I'm leaning towards LSU losing, but at the end of the day, they're still secured a regional host spot. So this game doesn't necessarily matter quite as much. That's right. I'm in it with you. Well, appreciate taking the call. Love hey, the show. Hey, I, I appreciate it, Cody. Take it, take it easy, my man. Yeah, like I said, it's just very tough to tell right now. I mean, hopefully, before today's show ends, I will give you the information, the breaking news sounder will fire off, and I will give you information about who's going to be starting. Honestly, it seems like it's just going to be tough to tell you right here, right now, who is going to take the bump for LSU. I don't think even anybody really has said anything outright about who will be the starter for the Tigers tonight, I haven't seen anything about that. In fact, I'm looking at kind of what Pulmonary is saying. He's like he's saying, "I'm a yeah." He has no idea at as of like 13 hours ago. So I'm sure nothing much has changed at 11:07 a.m. But of course, we'll we'll find out something else a little bit down the line. But of course, I talked about it earlier in the show about the fact that you have the Houston Astros. They won four three last night. But at what cost when it comes to George Springer and his health? He is out with a hamstring injury, and he actually wound up talking about it during postgame. Obviously, very, very dejected about it. What happened? Can you take us through just that, that play and, and what happened to your line? Uh, going for the ball, giving it as much as I can, and hamstring locked up. And that's all I, I really honestly don't have anything more than that. Just. We'll have to see what happens and you know, hope for the best. How tough is it when you just came back and then something like this happens right when you're back? Yeah, it's it, uh, it sucks, to be honest. It's, um, it's hard, but I'll make it through and just got to support the team the best way that I can. AJ was saying that the IL is likely. Do, do you think you'll end up on there? I, I got no idea. Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't. Um, we'll find out tomorrow, and I'll go from there. You know your body really well. Just can you get the any idea of the severity at this point. I, no, I, I I I honestly don't know. Um, again, I just have to find out tomorrow, and you know, hope for the best. You know, hope for some good news, and I'll go from there. Just some great stuff from George Springer. Obviously, very very dejected after kind of suffering that injury at the point that he did after coming back from the injury he had with his back. Now it's his leg. It's a tough break for a guy that definitely has been the MVP for this franchise all season long. I mean, you look at a few, it was a month, I think two, three weeks ago, he went five for five on in a Sunday game. I believe it was Mother's Day. He went five for five, five runs, first Astro to ever do that in franchise history. Not long after that, he, gets, he goes down with a back injury. Now he's going to be headed back to the IL. 
and you think about it, like you've got a lot of guys. I mean, Jose Altuve's still out. Hopefully, I feel like he's going to wind up being back probably for the series. Uh, I would I would hope he'd be ready for the series against the Cubbies. But again, you know, I don't think you have to rush him back because you're seeing that even like without Jose Altuve, without some of these guys, it's still feasible to try to wind up probably getting some wins here. And that would wind up being huge for a lot of these guys to kind of have some experience and get things done. I would love to see what happens with the Astros going forward. Without George Springer, when is he going to be back? And it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. I, that was something I talked about in the last segment, but I kind of want to delve back to it. And of course, you know we talked about a little bit about the raging cages as well. Their season coming to an end. In fact, their their academic their athletic year pretty much wrapped up in a nice little bow. So trust me, it was definitely a lot of fun, kind of seeing what the Cajuns were able to do on a lot of fronts. Definitely something worth talking about. Just. Really interesting season when you look at Cajuns baseball. Cajuns basketball, man, they, they definitely had a lot of potential. Couldn't live up to it. Cajuns softball, everybody expected them to make it back to the College World Series. Didn't happen. You look at, obviously, I think Cajuns football, probably the biggest winner of them all when you look at the major sports that everybody follows. They looked really, really good. They looked fantastic in their first year under Billy Napier. I wouldn't be surprised if this team is going to wind up being like preseason like winners of the Sunbelt West Division and Sunbelt Conference champions down the line. Definitely going to be a lot of fun to see what happens with them in 2019, starting the season off against Mississippi State. Going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break. Going to split out a little bit early. Come back with more. You're listening to the producers. Or Under the Dome, excuse me, there we go. Finally said it, first time I'll show. Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadia in a sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Every time CD takes the mic, is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now, let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadia and a sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Live for the 237 Roof Studios. You can call us up 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. The Arco Equipment Hotline. It is wide open, me amigos. Honestly, just enjoying the heck out of the Saturday morning, getting ready for a great Memorial Day weekend. Hopefully you are as well. And trust me, it's going to be a great one, obviously, with LSU baseball trying to make a run. Selection Monday will happen. Sunday we'll find out the regional host sites. More likely than not, LSU will be a regional host. And hopefully we can be talking about a great and magical run for LSU baseball in the next couple of weeks and they make it to Omaha. It feels like it's going to be an uphill climb, but again, we shall see. Of course, we got other things going on in the world of sports, and I think this is going to be a first year on Under the Dome. Actually, I know it will be, because we've been on the air for three weeks, and we haven't talked a lick of hockey, and honestly, i got to get into it. i got to get into the mood of some 
hockey action, and obviously that means we got to play. We got to we got to get the horns going. Oh yes, oh, that feel that sounds so good. Stanley Cup about to get started between the Boston Bruins and the St. Louis Blues. Definitely something nobody expected heading into the preseason. Honestly, I'm loving it as somebody who enjoys watching the Bruins from time to time. Now I have a reason to watch the Stanley Cup Finals again after a couple of years of not necessarily being the biggest fan of. Don't get me wrong, the pins were fun, but I feel like I watched them largely because, well, Al Magle was here, and that was definitely a big reason why they were there, but it's definitely not as... I thought it just wasn't as entertaining to me. Like Seeing the, the Capitals and the Golden Knights was, was fun and all, but it's just it wasn't my cup of tea. But seeing the Boston Bruins in for the first time in a in a good while against the upstart team like the St. Louis Blues, give me that, please. I absolutely love it. You saw the Bruins. They swept their series a few days ago against the Carolina Hurricanes. Made it look incredibly easy. And then you saw the, the Blues dominated the San Jose Sharks 4-1 in that series. And that... It's going to start on Monday, Memorial Day Monday. These two teams are going to be facing off once again. Can't wait to check this out. Game one of the Stanley Cup Finals. That's what's going on in the world of sports. If you're a fan of hockey, you know, that was a great little hockey talk. Honestly, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about the teams this year, but trust me, when it comes to the Boston Bruins being in there, I am more than happy to sit down and, and watch some of the cup. But, of course, we're getting closer to the NBA Finals as well. Looks like we have a chance to see the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors go head-to-head for the Larry O'Brien Trophy. The Warriors obviously swept, and, they man, they look dominant against the Portland Trailblazers after what Portland had done. It was just nothing short of impressive being able to do what they did after getting bounced out last year in the first round for love to the New Orleans Pelicans. But then you kind of just get your behind handed to you in the Western Conference Finals to a Warriors team that is a lot like Thanos. You cannot stop this guy. He is just inevitable. The Warriors, they are inevitable. No matter if they have KD, Boogie, or who, what have you. That element of Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green. That is a triumvirate I do not want to mess with. Everybody else is kind of, you know, it's up and down, hit or miss. I'll tell you right now, that is a team I don't want to mess with when it comes to any, it comes to an opponent. That's going to be something I'm looking forward to in the next couple of days. I know I think it's some uh, Wednesdays, the start of the NBA Finals. Of course, that's if you want to see this series end the way it's supposed to end, and that should be tonight when the Raptors take on the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm definitely fingers and toes crossed to see that one be a lot more competitive. It's going to be a lot of fun to see what happens between those two teams. If those two face off, I'd honestly love to see the Milwaukee Bucks a lot more because the Bucks are a lot more entertaining team. And I feel like they definitely are, are a program, are a franchise that can compete with the Warriors and try and take down the evil empire. I feel like they're a, they have a better chance of doing that than Toronto, because I feel like you look at them, sure, Pascal Siakam has stepped up in the Easter Conference Finals. You've got the Claw and Kawhi Leonard, but outside that, I feel like you don't have like a whole lot of guys that are just true stars. You've got, 
Obviously, Kyle Lowry is a good a good hand, but I feel like he's not necessarily going to be a guy that you rely on consistently. You've got a lot of players left and right with the Toronto Raptors and the Milwaukee Bucks, but I feel like the Bucks are better equipped to beat Steph Curry and the Warriors, largely because of one man and one man in particular. That's the Greek freak, Giannis Antetokounmpo. That guy is just an absolute monster on the court. I love what I've seen from him as of late. Hopefully you were enjoying it as well over the last couple of series. But again, I would not be surprised if the Raptors were to win the series because they definitely have full control of things here. And once they moved the series back to Milwaukee and they were able to win, I say they wound up taking full control of the series. Now, could they blow this? Oh, of course they could. They definitely could. But I'm definitely leaning towards them losing tonight. And probably, it probably winds up going seven. I feel like that's just where we're at these days. We wound up seeing it go to a seven-game series. The Warriors get all the rest of the world, and they can win in like they can win in five, and everybody gets really frustrated at what's going on with the NBA in 2019 once again. And then we can wind up talking about the Pelicans getting Zion Williamson. I can't wait to see what Zion Williamson does with this franchise. I don't, I'm not gonna lie, that's gonna be something that you kind of put on the on the mantle and. For Cody, who called in in the last segment, breaking news hit the sounder. Devin Fontenot, ladies and gentlemen, he'll get the start for LSU against Vanderbilt through four and a third on Tuesday against South Carolina. I don't expect him to throw that much today, but he will get the start for LSU. Once again, Devin Fontenot getting the start for the LSU Tigers against Vanderbilt in this game to try and punch a ticket to the SEC Tournament Final and probably improve your standing in terms of being a regional host. Because they've got that locked down. The biggest thing is, will they be able to lock down a a top, like, they're not going to lock down a top eight, but I'm saying you want to probably being 16 seed. You're a 16 seed right now in my mind. I think you're going to want to be in a 14 or 13 seed if you can beat Vanderbilt and make it to the SEC tournament final and probably make it a very competitive ball game. That's going to be something you keep an eye on going forward is what happens with LSU over the next like next few hours. 3 o'clock first pitch, 3.30 first pitch, excuse me, 3 o'clock pregame show right here on 103.7 The Game. And again, Devin Fontenot getting the start for LSU. I'm glad I was able to get that news out there because I didn't know if that was going to be popping up before or after my show. Thankfully it was. Hopefully you're enjoying it just as much as I am. This SEC tournament has definitely been the most interesting for LSU in a while because usually when they're winning, it's definitely expected. This one wasn't quite as expected. I thought they would have wound up bouncing out after the Auburn game, but thankfully they have because it's made things interesting. It's given us more to talk about over the last couple of days. If they had wound up bouncing out on Thursday like the Cajuns did, we wouldn't have as much to talk about. We'd be like, did they do enough to improve their standing? Did they do enough? Or is it just the fact that they're in the SEC they're going to be hosting regardless because it feels like to me you needed that win against Auburn and needed that win against Mississippi State to truly secure that spot and be able to hold that up and say we're going to be a 16 or a 15 seed. I think they could want to go in as high as like a 13 seed if they win today against Vanderbilt. If they lose, I don't think they, I don't think it hurts them. It doesn't hurt them at all. If they want to staying as a regional host, obviously, but they don't move up anymore unless it's a really competitive ball game because I think you beat Vanderbilt. 
That's another log on the fire for the people who talk about RPI top 50 wins. It's a pretty damn good RPI team when you look at the Vanderbilt Commodores. So, honestly, give me that. I would love to see those two teams face off in the semifinal, and then you wind up seeing them play in the final. See, final game, I don't know who, I can't tell you who's on the other side of that bracket, but it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on over the next 24 hours for LSU. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Of course, we got coming up in just a little bit some OTA talk with our guy Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered Locked on Saints podcast. I'm looking forward to it because, trust me, if you love the New Orleans Saints, this guy knows what he's talking about. He definitely does a lot of in-depth analysis, a lot more than I'm used to, trust me. The person who used to constantly be able to write, put out content about the Saints on a regular basis, this guy does it way more than me and does it quite well at that. So looking forward to talking to him about that and what the prospects are of getting a guy like Gerald McCoy in-house. Because I think that's definitely the thing that everybody's talking about is the fact that Drew Brees and Gerald McCoy, they have a great relationship. Drew Brees wants him, but I think Drew Brees wants him a lot like he probably wants half of the defensive tackles in the league because he doesn't have to play against them anymore. I think that's what he would want, but, you know, it's definitely hard to do especially with the salary cap, the way it is, the cap space, the way everything's structured in the NFL. It's it's tough to kind of allocate that money to be able to pull that off. So I think you wind up seeing him probably going to the Cleveland Browns. What's up with the likelihood of that happening? Who's definitely stood out in the first week of OTAs and a whole lot more? We'll talk to him in just a few minutes or so. But in the meantime, in between time, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. 337-706-0111. In that final segment, you can definitely get your shots up. Because I've, I've got about one more take left in me in that segment. So hopefully you stick around and listen in. Obviously, I hope you listen in to the next segment when we talk with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered, and we really get into it on that NOLA style. And I'm looking forward to it. We'll, we'll be back with more on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are 11. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. If that doesn't get you amped up, I don't know what you're doing. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. That's me, right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com, live from the 237 Roof Studios. And trust me, we got a lot to talk about with our guy, as always, Ross Jackson. He's aboard the Arco Equipment Hotline, writes, for all Saints considered also host of the Locked on Saints podcast. What is going on, my good brother? What's up, man? Good to see you. Good to hear from you. Appreciate you having me on today. Hope you've been well. I've been good, man. I've been good, and I'm think 
after week one of OTAs, it is in the books. What's your biggest takeaway from week one of OTAs? Uh, one of my big things is how quickly uh, Jared Cook has fallen into the good graces of Drew Brees and Sean Payton. They've only been together for a couple of days. Uh, you know, rookie minicamps were a couple of weeks ago, and then we ran into uh, OTAs. The first three-day session of OTAs started on Tuesday, ended on Thursday. And just in those three days, the types of compliments that Jared Cook has got. I mean, Jared Cook was getting compliments from uh, Dan Campbell before he ever even touched the field, <laughs> which happened during rookie minicamp. But that was one of the big things that stood out to me. And then the other ones are just, you know, a couple other big things are just, you know, these these rookies that are out here making plays. I mean, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson had made huge headlines during rookie minicamps. Didn't hear a ton of ton about him during OTAs, but of course, only one day was open to uh, media. And then I'd probably say the last thing that stood out to me, and it's it, I'm going to go the unfortunate route here, is that Cameron Meredith still not participating. You, you bring up Cameron Meredith is still not participating. You know, this seems like a, just a, another one of those busts that that the Saints seemingly have every year. Where they get a guy, get a prolific guy, and then he just doesn't really do much. And it's, when you look at him, it's like he just hasn't recovered and hasn't been able to get on the field. It definitely feels like he could be a bust. Yeah, it's incredibly disappointing because I mean, from just from a human standpoint, you want to see the guy succeed. You want to see yep. this guy come back and you know and, and, and excel back in that role that he excelled in in 2016 with the Bears when he had I think it was 888 receiving yards, most of which from the slot. Had an incredible year that year, but just hasn't been able to get back there since the since the knee injury. Uh, we saw him get on the field for about four games last season. Didn't record any stats for a good portion of that, and then eventually just ended up back on the injured reserve again and then you know you expect to see him at this point because we haven't seen him in game action for you know most of last season plus the off season and so you kind of expect to see him out there but no news in terms of how you know his recovery is going but his absence is enough information for you and of course the good news about this this situation for the Saints which isn't great news for Cameron Meredith but if they decide to move on with him they save a little bit of money as opposed to taking on dead cap let's say Jairus Bird style so this is a lot. This is a much better situation yeah. for them, but it's just disappointing because you want to see the guy succeed. It's unfortunate when you see what's going on with with him missing out on that opportunity. But of course, there's a lot of other guys who are fighting for that opportunity to be on that 53 man roster, namely in that wide receiver position. Who's going to be that? Who's definitely a dark horse to break out during OTAs? Well, I definitely look for Keith Kirkwood to take another step up. He was excellent last year in his role. Uh, he wasn't somebody that, you know, exploded on the scene or anything like that or gained national recognition, but he was very well recognized amongst the Saints camp and Saints fans through that nation because of what he was able to do in that you know, he showed up in that Cincinnati Bengals game and then racked up those two catches for 45 yards and ran some really nice routes. He, you know, looked really good outside of just those two targets and two catches. And so you, you know, really enjoyed seeing him sort of progress throughout the season, but of course wasn't able to play in the playoff games because of a quad injury, which had they played, had, you know, the referees made the correct call, he would have ended up playing in the Super Bowl. He would have been available for that game. So that injury is not really much of a concern. I see a lot of people like to talk to talk about Cameron Meredith as in, I'm sorry, not Cameron Meredith, Keith Kirkwood yeah. as being injury prone, but that's just not the case. He was fine had they been able to play two weeks later. But he's somebody that I definitely have, uh, will keep an eye out on. And then just the, the litany of, I mean, there's 12 wide receivers on this yeah. roster right now fighting for at most three spots. Because to me, Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn Jr., Traquan Smith are locks. 
and then at most you're going to get three other wide receivers. One of which, if they're going to keep six return, I mean, sorry, six wide receivers, one of which is probably going to be a returner. So I'm looking for uh, Deontay Harris, the undrafted rookie free agent out of Assumption College, who set the All Division NCAA record with 14 return touchdowns, eight in kick returns, four of six in punt returns. He's somebody that I'm looking to keep an eye on, as well as uh, Cyril Grayson, the track star out of LSU who plays for the Seattle Seahawks. They said he's going to get some reps at kick return as well. So those guys that are going to be able to come on and do a little bit more than just you know the, the wide receiver role, they're going to be able to add in special teams. Those are some people to watch. And then, of course, just because I need to say my man's name because I'm really excited about him, Lil' Jordan Humphrey. Yes. Lil' Jordan Humphrey is definitely somebody to watch in that, in that slot role. Little Jordan Humphrey is just an awesome name, first things first. I can't wait to see what he, what he winds up doing, but of course you brought up a former LSU track star. I think we got to talk about the LSU star or wide receiver from Bro Bridge, Traven Doral. He, he seems like yeah. Sean Payton put him over a lot after coming back from his injury. What can you say about him and his like, – what percent chance would you give him of making that 53-man roster? Is he just going to wind up just continuing to be relegated to the practice squad? Um, I think that he, I would probably give him, now this is going to sound like it's not a big shot, but when you consider the fact that there's 12 different receivers yeah. fighting for those six spots, I'd probably give him around a 25 to 30% shot at it. And that's, and that's, than a, I that's a pretty hefty amount. Yeah, that's a pretty hefty amount for a guy that was, you know, an undrafted free agent and then ended up on injured reserve. But I think that the fact that he's coming in sort of, He's kind of coming in as an incumbent. You know what I mean? Uh, he's, he already kind of knows the playbook, knows more about the playbook than, you know, maybe Emmanuel Butler that's just coming in as an undrafted free agent this year. Um, Cyril Lemon that's joining the team for the first time. So he's kind of got that leg up, you know, just understanding the play calls. That's, that's an off season of work right there. <laughs> so being able to sort of have that, he's kind of been in classroom mode the entire time that he was on injured reserve last season, which is what you like to see. We, we hear that he didn't disconnect from the team. He continued to work, which is excellent. Uh, and then, of course, his time on the practice squad helps him with that as well. And so he's somebody that I actually really, really like as a potential backup as one of the perimeter-wide receivers. So he's a little bit in a different, completely different competition than the names like Lil Jordan Humphrey and Keith Kirkwood that are more slot competition. He's a good depth boundary competition person. Talk right now with Ross Jackson of All Saints Considered and the Locked on Saints podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. And, you know, we talk about the wide receiver battle to try and get one of those six spots, or better yet, one of those three spots. You put because Thomas, Ginn, and then um, Traquan, they're going to be locking down those spots. But looking at, obviously, I think one of the most important position battles in OTAs and also training camp. Has to be without a doubt the center position. Eric McCoy. You got a lot of you got guys that are going to be competing for that for that spot to try and be with Drew Brees. There's three of them, and you think about it. Who do you think has the edge after one week in, at the center position? Well, uh, this week uh, for OTAs, we saw Nick Easton, and well, we actually, okay, so it was it was a little wonky the way that the offensive line broke down for for the open session of OTAs. Uh, Larry Warford didn't participate on Thursday, which was the only day that was open to media, so we didn't see Larry Warford at right guard. Instead, we actually saw Nick Easton, the guy that they signed the day after uh, Max Unger retired over at the right guard position. So he actually didn't play center with the first team. He ended up playing right guard, and Cameron Tom in that instance, was in at right guard. I'm sorry, was in at center. And that shouldn't really surprise people. Um, I, I, can, I can understand maybe looking at that and saying, oh, well, that should have been Eric McCoy. He was drafted for that position. But Eric McCoy, still learning the play calls, 
still learning the communication, still learning the checks, everything that he's got to be learning. So he was rolling with the second team the whole way through, which is what you want to see at this point. Learning communication, learning all those checks and calls. That's very important to give him the opportunity to do that before throwing him into essentially throwing him in with the uh, with the first team and then you know risking a little bit of losing balance that way. So we saw Cameron Tom running at center, but it wouldn't surprise me to see a lot more Nick Easton over at center once Larry Warford returns. We don't know yet why he missed Thursday, but if it's not a big concern, because I mean you can look at Cameron Jordan who also missed Thursday, but he he simply missed Thursday. There was nothing to be concerned about there. Um, so if Larry Warford does come back, I would expect to see some more Nick Easton at center before we start seeing Eric McCoy. I think for all intents and purposes, they want to get Eric McCoy in at center as soon as possible, but you need to really build him up to that. I'd have to agree with you, Ross, because you got to build this guy up. you got to make sure he is 100% ready to go for this big challenge as being the Eric, being the guy who's going to wind up snapping off to Drew Brees. And Drew Brees talked a lot about chemistry with the center over the course of a, over the course of OTAs and training camp, trying to build that after having Max Unger there for so many years, how crucial is that to have a center be a leader? Because that was one, that's one of my big things that I've noticed over the years looking at college football is after you lose a center that started for like three, four years, the offensive line loses some of its chemistry. How huge is it to have the center of the offensive line be that leader and be the guy that's definitely got a good chemistry with Drew Brees? Yeah, it's big. I mean, we always talked about Drew Brees as being one of the best quarterbacks pre-snap in the NFL, and Max Unger was one of the best centers in that exact same time frame. All those, you know, those seconds before the snap, he was able to do so much in terms of communicating with the rest of the offensive line. You know, he's a big part of identifying the middle of the defense, and that sort of tells the offensive line where it is that they need to sort of protect heavy and everything. And so, just being able to communicate and give that. Um, you know, it, being able to really relay that information quickly and then get that to the rest of the offensive line along with the pre-snap work that Drew Brees does, that kind of sets you up for the perfect storm. And that's one of the reasons, or sets up a defense for the perfect storm. And that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, the Saints offensive line has been so excellent since they made the trade for Max Unger is because of that communication. And so before you end up throwing somebody in there, you want to make sure that they're at least able to do the, I don't want to say the bare minimum, but you know, at least be above average yeah. in that communication factor and being able to lead. Because that's another part of it, too, is that you have to have leadership beyond just being a good communicator. Talk right now with Ross Jackson, All Saints Considered in the Locked on Saints podcast. And, of course, we got to address the elephant in the room, and that is one Gerald McCoy from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, <laughs> got re- or formerly of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he got released. And now the rumor and you into a bound is probably going to wind up being the Cleveland Browns. But after you found out the news that Jeremy McCoy was being released, what was what was the likelihood in your mind that he was going to wind up heading to the Saints? Um, I liked. I, I'm going to stick with the same percentage that I used earlier. I like Gerald McCoy to the Saints at 30 percent ish. The reason why I had put that there is just because the number of teams that was going to be uh, interested in him. We knew that the Browns were going to be interested. Dorsey has been nothing but loud about Gerald McCoy <laughs> the entire offseason. And so we knew that they were going to be in pursuit. They were kind of my number one, not my number one in my heart, but my number one in my mind. <laughs> they were kind of my favorite to land him. Um, and then you needed to also consider um, the New England Patriots, who just you know are very much like have that Mickey Loomis mentality of, I get what I want. So you have to look at the New England Patriots as well. Uh, I was also looking at uh, the other te- another team in the division, the Atlanta Falcons, as being in pursuit of them, although they're not even close to being able to afford them. A lot of people like to point at the Saints cap situation. Falcons cap situation is completely busted 
at this moment in terms of being able to add any late free agency talent. So I kind of had a, a few different teams that were in there. I looked at the Los Angeles Chargers as well, the Baltimore Ravens, of course. Uh, and so right now what we know is that for the Saints, I think that it's more of a waiting game. Um, uh, Gerald McCoy left from uh, Cleveland without a deal. He's visiting with Baltimore on Tuesday. Those are the teams that were on his short list, uh, as reported. And so we'll see what happens there. And I think that you know the Saints aren't going to get involved in, uh, I guess for lack of better terms, a bidding war. But if you know he visits those other teams and it doesn't really work out for them, then I think the Saints then become a major player just because of what they have to offer in his friendship with Drew Brees, being in the same division that refused to pay him but then turned around and paid and Dominic Sue the next day. And then also just, you know, being, being able to play with a Super Bowl contender. And I think that one of the things that makes the Cleveland Browns a clear choice for him is the cap situation. And then, of course, they're an upward trending team that is yep. going to be, you know, it's going to be a playoff contender. And that's what he's looking for. He's just wanting to win. I think that's definitely the goal for him. And, you know, I think we're winning every time we talk to you, Ross. Can't thank you enough for coming on, my man. <laughs> I think we're going to talk to you down the road. Hopefully, we talk to you a lot as we get to training camp and then we get to preseason and all that fun stuff. That occurs, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. Thanks again for having me on today. All right. That was Ross Jackson of All Saints Considered on the Locked on Saints podcast. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at Ross Jackson ASC. And speaking of that Twitter machine, some big news came out over over the course of that interview. And I'm going to give you the deets about that that came out through the Twitter machine. And I think if you're an LSU fan, you're definitely feeling really good. Going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back with more and wrap it up in a nice little bow. You're listening to the producers right here under the dome. There we go again. Did it again. Under the dome with the world-famous CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037thegame and 1037thegame.com. Back with more after this. From the preps, I gave it a uh, a ten, a ten to the pros, and everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station, one zero three seven. The game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. That's me, right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. I was talking about the Twitter machine, and how some big news came out from there involving LSU. Well, I'm talking about on the football side of things earlier. I told you Devin Fondo, he'll be getting the start for LSU against Vandy in the SEC tournament semifinal game. But I think the other big thing that's going on is. Obviously, the world of recruiting currently LSU ranked number three, according to 247 Sports, behind Alabama and Clemson. Clemson currently number one with four five-star commits, also 11 four-stars. When you compare that to what LSU's got in terms of two five-stars and four t- and ten four-stars, excuse me, and their average is like 93.84. Again, this is all according to 247 Sports right now. But they added another one today. It is a three-star commit out of St. Thomas Aquinas in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and that is a Marlon Martinez offensive tackle, six foot four, two hundred eighty-seven pounds. This guy is going to be 
an interesting player for LSU going forward. Hopefully we can get some more information about him down the line. But again, this news kind of just popped up about 20 minutes ago in the middle of that Ross Jackson interview. He says he can't thank God enough for the blessings he has bestowed upon me through him. All things are possible. Wouldn't be the position he is today without the love and support. And saying that he's just, he thanks the LSU staff, players, and fans for the hospitality and love that was shown to him and his family when they were in Baton Rouge. The environment was unreal, and he committed, he announced his verbal commitment to LSU, obviously. The things could wind up changing, but I feel like that's a huge one when it comes to getting him aboard. Marlon Martinez, a three-star offensive tackle out of, out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. That's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on over the next, I'd say, several months to see if he sticks around. He's obviously in the world of recruiting. It never sleeps, never takes a day off, and things could wind up changing in an absolute heartbeat. I think that's the biggest thing that I've observed over the years of me looking at recruiting and seeing how that all goes down because dudes could just change at the drop of a hat, especially somebody like a three-star player that could see his ranking go up a little bit more once two four seven it's kind of like, oh hey this guy's actually a lot better than we said you know Marlon Martinez is an interesting name that one kind of popped up he chose them I believe over teams like Auburn and that's that's huge to kind of take some away from Auburn because I think Auburn's one of those teams that can wind up any year make it interesting and be competitive maybe not quite right now but again they picked over the Tiger Auburn Tigers. Penn State, Florida, Florida State, and Georgia. Some really good teams thrown in in there. Penn State's always going to be an interesting team to keep an eye on in the Big Ten. Florida is starting to make a run and starting to make things more interesting in the SEC East, along with Georgia. And he's definitely going to be a tackle or a guard. He's I'm going to check out some highlight film after I kind of wrap up the show in just a couple minutes. And it's going to be something really cool just to see what happens with him. Also, I'm just looking forward to the weekend in general, of course. We've got a lot of things to talk about heading into next week. Honestly, Saints OTAs are still going to be going on. What's going to happen with Gerald McCoy? A whole lot of things. Obviously, this week was definitely a lot more just weird stuff going on because, honestly, I like things that are interesting. I like things that are different, and that's why Under the Dome is really cool. It's just such a You walk on the wild side a little bit, and this is a big reason why. Because of the fact that we talked pro wrestling. And it's been a while since we've actually talked pro wrestling on a main show. It's usually reserved, at least for me, on the 20 by 20 Progress podcast. Because, you know, not everybody cares about wrestling as much as, say, me and Cody Shoots do. So we kind of reserve that. But whenever it comes to a big event like Double or Nothing or WrestleMania, I guarantee you, you will hear me talk about it. Especially something like this. And again, one more update about that poll question before I head on out of here. All Elite Wrestling, everybody's kind of agreeing. It's 75%. Yes, it will be a true competitor to WWE. And honestly, I'll eat my hat, figuratively speaking, of course, if they do manage to pull that off. Because it feels like it's an uphill climb. At least in my mind it is. But like I said, I'm out of here. Have a great rest of your Saturday morning. Be back with you on a Saturday. (laughs) Next Saturday. Every Saturday morning. 10 a.m. to noon and who knows who I'm going to have on next week because I just don't know yet. That's the weird thing. I don't prep the show for next week right after. It's usually about Wednesday or Thursday. So hopefully some really cool things happen. Obviously, it's all about who LSU is going to be playing in the SEC, in the NCAA tournament coming up not too far away from right now. 
But I'm out of here. Thanks to everybody for coming aboard. Chris Van Vliet, even though his phone cut out at the end, it is what it is. We can move on from that. Wilson Alexander talking LSU baseball and Ross Jackson, all Saints considered, talking Saints mini Saints OTAs, not mini camp, OTAs, all on Under the Dome with CD. I'm CD. I'm out of here. Peace. Oh, yeah. Kick it. Live from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is KLWB Karen Crow Lafayette.